Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call. James is here. He's producing. He will answer the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes, sir. So I knew you were off last week. Mm-hmm. The rumors were around here that you were going to get your hair dyed while you were gone. <laughs> to look like yours? <laughs> I thought about it. Mine is naturally turning that way. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe you'd come back with, like, purple hair or something. No, I, I'm not into the purple hair thing. The red, maybe. You know, hockey season, maybe the blue. Right. But, uh, no, not I didn't do that. I was just curious. That yeah. I don't know. The rumor was started by somebody, and I I kind of heard it. I was listening. <laughs> I need over. to find out he said that. <laughs> but anyway, good to see you. It's good to be back. Did you have fun. I did. All Went right. to Colorado. It's awesome. Whoa! What a beautiful place. Drove up Pikes Peak. Oh, you're kidding! Took a jeep ride through the mountains. They have, and we saw red mushrooms. <gasps> now the driver said that she checked with a friend and they were psilocybin, but we ate a few and didn't. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> but I mean these things they had big caps on them and they were red, just bright. It was crazy. Never wow. seen that. But beautiful flower. I, we were noticing the flowers going up the mountain and and the different trees going up to the top of Pikes Peak. You of know course. you can see how they change as you go up and down. Yeah, the environmental zones. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was it was awesome. Well, great, yeah, great time. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, thank you. All right. Good to see you. You bet. And I thought you would have purple hair. Anyway. Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting you, your yard, your landscape. These storms of wind, man, that was some vicious wind. We didn't get the power knocked out, but uh, it was amazing. We were watching. I, we live right across the street from Christie Park, and we were, I was watching the trees in that park. I thought, uh-oh. But uh, a couple sycamores lost some major branches. But other than that, sycamores seem to take a real beating this year from anthracnose. And now a couple windstorms has really hurt them. But anyway, how about your specialty garden space? How about those houseplants getting ready to bring them back inside soon? Or are you just going to sacrifice them to the winter gods? 
What is potting mix, by the way, and how do you improve your soil? And could you be doing some pruning now or shearing or things like that? <gasps> What's that? What's that on, on, on those plants? It's really sticky. It's really horrible. I don't know. <sighs> and why are my plants just wilting down? Uh, using information I'll share with you, maybe we'll help you orchestrate a good decision with a final judgment on action that you're going to take. It's going to be on your shoulders. By the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. As I said before, another very important player is James. He's producing. He answers the phone, pushes all the buttons and everything else. They tell me, and they've told me years ago, don't touch anything. So I don't. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. If you'd like, I call them a walk and talk. You can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address or phone number where I can be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed over to Webster Gross. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. A lighted bottle tree caught my eye. Really nice-looking hanging baskets cascading down. Pots of all kinds of different sizes and shapes with planted with various types of plant materials. Boxwood and ginkgo trees add pizzazz to the sidewalk cutting sidewalk planting space. And where was this? Well, this is at right in front of Frazier's restaurant. But across the street, that's where I'm headed. With the sounds of many birds and crickets, Jardin de Cuisine. So Maybe Frazier's, I'm assuming that's his, because a lot of the stuff that's over there is things that he could be using as he cooks. The fence is covered with all kinds of morning glories, ivies, trumpet creeper. They're the dominant ones, but there's other vines there as well. The planter boxes, wow, there's several of them. You can see everything from corn to peppers to marigolds. There's actually a sunflower that the base where it's going into the ground is about three and a half inches plus as far as the diameter of it. There's basil, there's eggplant, there's onions, there's thyme, several varieties of different kinds of tomatoes, all with different colors. Some great mint growing. I mean, big clumps. And it tells of the partnership, the sign, which was Jardine de Cuisine, partnership with St. Louis Composting and Effinger's Garden Center. There's also flocks and corn, corn, corn flowers. I was going to say corn flowers. Spiderwort and add a nice perennial touch to it. There's a plot of lawn in there that leads to, and on the back side of the lawn along the fence, there's a huge patch of squash. I mean, the leaves on those things were probably 15 inches across. They were just massive. And uh, led to a brick edge planting, which was more perennials as well. And there was a fence there, and the fence was hid the dumpsters and the hoses and things along that line. Well, if you don't recognize where this is, it's at 18th and Pestalozzi, right there. If you look across the street, you can see Anheuser-Busch. If you listen, besides the birds and the crickets and everything else, you're going to hear Highway 55 buzzing by, maybe it's 70 at that point. I can't remember which it is. But anyway, it was just a great morning, nice temperature, everything else, and uh, what a nice spot to be. So, Thanks to everybody who put that whole thing together. Jardin de Cuisine. 
The Mike Miller KMOS Garden Hotline will be back after these messages. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX. Yes, folks, let's party on. Uh, why don't we head out to Creep Corps and go into Fred's yard and see what's going on? Hi, Fred. Good morning, Mike. I, I really enjoy your show, and uh, I like your sense of humor also. Well, thanks. Okay, so I've got two questions, um, and one is kind of extended, but um, my lawn is terrible this year, and I've had some real success with it over the last four or five years, but uh, it's a zoysia. Um, lots of weeds, lots of bare spots. Um, I haven't done anything different, and yet it's just awful. Is this typical this year, or is it unusual? Well, uh, it's probably unusual, and certainly in a way. I have zoysia, and my zoysia actually looks pretty good. So Okay. And if you've been doing everything routinely and everything looked fine, there has to be something that's impacting it. You know, the weather certainly could have and, you know, the exposure. So, in other words, the setting of your yard was where the weather is going to have more of an impact than other situations. But the weeds and everything else, that's something that's, uh, you know, that that's, was probably in there. Maybe you just didn't notice it. And now that okay. you're getting some death, that's why the weeds are showing up. Okay. So my plan is to apply some weed killer to the entire lawn um, in the near future and then put down a, something to, to help the acidic level of the ground. I'll do that this week. Um, and then can I plug in September and, and early October? Are you plugging from your own yard? Yes. Uh, you're taking a chance once you start getting a little bit later because if we get a cold snap early, the, you know, the plugs are not going to be able to have a chance to get their root system established, and that could just be the death, fo- you know, death of them. I'd probably kind okay. of maybe – well, Zoys is always brown in the wintertime anyway. I'd get everything killed off, maybe do some soil preparation, and why do you think you need to change the soil pH? Um, just because the, the, the lawn looks kind of a light green instead of the dark green. Um, well, to be honest that, with that, you, I get a soil test done guessing just because of color of things now with on, let's say shrubs, azaleas, rhododendrons, holly, you can tell by the difference, you know, if the foliage on those, tr- you know, the, on those shrubs or trees or whatever it happens to be. It starts discoloring. That's definitely related to the pH. But with the lawn, that's not necessarily going to be the case. And you can get a, I'm going to talk about soil testing in a little bit, but uh, you can get a soil test done and get some results and find out before you begin to do anything at all. And maybe also your lawn may be, have weakened because you do, was applying the same type of fertilizer time after time after time after time. If it had high levels of phosphorus and potassium, you know, each time you applied it, then it just built up, and that becomes detrimental to any kind of lawn. Uh-huh. I see. Okay. So what would your recommendation be? Get a soil test. Yes, definitely. Start there. Start. It's just like when you're not feeling well, you go to your doctor, and the doctor will do some tests related to what you're not feeling well about. And he's not going to just guess. And if you try to guess, it's not going to work. Okay. Um, 
should I should I put the uh, um, the weed killer down? Yeah, you can go ahead and get the you know kill this as much off as you want to, and then also realize that this is a time of year when the annual weeds, which have, the cool season annual weeds, have been hiding. They're now starting. They're going to be germinating. You know, basically this mid month August, which that's where we are, up until like early in September. And some of the uh-huh. uh, cool season annual weeds, which va- virtually disappeared when it started getting warm, they had been dropping seed, would be henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, and several other ones as well. So uh, post-emergent and pre-emergent application may be to your advantage. Okay. And uh, I have a poinsettia. Uh, last question. I have a poinsettia plant that I've nurtured since Christmas, and it's doing well. Um, should I, is that going to continue to, uh, to do well if I replant it and so forth? Uh, probably this time of year. I don't know if I would put it in a bigger pot or not, or in a, you know, another pot. So I would just leave it alone. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Yep. My pleasure. And to go back a little bit to the soil testing, um, get your soil tested and, Soil conditions have a big effect on plant health. The pH and nutrient levels can change over time. You may be over-fertilizing your lawn or garden. So testing is a way to tell which nutrients you might be missing or which nutrients are at, at overabundant. And that's one of the things. A soil test t- tells you about phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, you know, percentage of organic matter, and pH. So pH, that's going to be, you know, really, really important as far as for years, people just kept saying, well, put lime down. And that's not necessarily what you really want to do until you find out what the pH is or like you wanted to do was to put some, you know, iron sulfate or whatever you're going to do to, you know, make this soil more acidic. But uh, what 10 to 14 days, usually once you've submitted the sample, it costs twenty five dollars. And you can take your sample to the University of Missouri Extension in St. Louis County, which is on East Monroe in Kirkwood, and there's city drop-off points, but you live in Creevecore, but uh, city drop-off points at Brightside St. Louis and Gateway Greening, you know, both. So you can go online and find out exactly how to take the sample, and but uh, really just don't start doing stuff for the sake of doing it because you think it might need it. Find out exactly what is needed, and that's going to be more important than anything else. So thanks, Fred. And if anybody else has questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This past week, with those winds and everything else, there was some... I mean, we. I like lightning. I, I shouldn't say I like it. I like to watch it if I'm inside. But, I mean, there was some lightning strikes around us that were obviously, you know, more spectacular than any that I've ever remembered. And one thing about lightning, over a thousand people get struck by lightning every year in the United States, and more of a, more than a hundred of those die. So if you happen to be outside and lightning starts striking, don't don't certainly don't go underneath a tree, don't lay on the ground. And uh, basically what you should do is uh, get indoors as fast as you possibly can. But, uh, you know, lightning is really kind of important as far as why everything after a lightning storm or a rainstorm that has lightning 
the plant material looks kind of greened up. And that's because the lightning causes the nitrogen to break apart and come down and actually help your soil. And one, uh, this is one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain. Thunder is good. Thunder is impressive. But it is lightning that does the work. And that is very, very true. And how hot is a lightning strike? Well, it's uh, three times hotter than the surface of the sun. So that's why you got to watch out for that kind of stuff. But anyway, let's head over to Wilburn's, and he lives in Oakville. Hi, Wilburn. Yeah, Mike, uh, I have a question. I have a couple large trees in my front yard, and some of the roots are exposed, but there's a round, I call it a nub on a couple of them. They're round, and they're poking up. So what are those? Uh, could be, do you know what type of trees these are? If they're a tree that, you know, let's say historically or genetically comes from an area that is like a swamp or a really wetter area, those are ways that the tree gets actually moisture or gets nitrogen and gets air and gets atmosphere into the tree, you know. So that's... so. That's, well, I have some oak in the front, and then I have, they look like an elm tree. They're beginning to drop their leaves already. But these roots are near the surface, and they're—I got like three of them, and they're—they're they're round, poking yeah. up out of the ground. Yeah, that's not a nodule that I was thinking. I was thinking like bald cypress and black gums and things like that have those nodules because they're from swampy areas. But this is just probably you know just a kind of a a weird you know growth on the root as opposed to something to be overly concerned with. Okay, I was just curious what they were. Yeah. So it's some kind of nodule, and uh, you know, until I, unless I saw it, I wouldn't know specifically what it was. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go over to Columbia, Illinois, and into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hello. Uh, I haven't been raising tomatoes very long, but I wonder what my problem is. My tomatoes have a lot of white in the center, hard white stuff. Uh, I mean, it's not. The outside of the tomatoes look good, and then when you cut into them, you have all this hard white stuff instead of the nice red that you'd normally associate with tomatoes. It may be variety-wise. Oh, it may what? be variety-wise, and it may be, you know, the fact of this particular year with the season and everything else. It sounds like you've done everything right because if you get tomatoes that you can actually pick and you think they're ripe, you know, my guess is it's whatever variety you were growing. Oh, are there any varieties that are less subject to this? Uh, I'm sure there are. I would say just, you know. What would you call it? I've looked it up on the Internet, and I don't know. I've never seen anything written that describes this. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know what, the, you know what I would call it myself. It's just, it's like. It's hard, and it doesn't taste like anything, not like tomato or anything else. It's right. just a, a white uh, fibers type of. Thing. Yeah, I would say in the future, just buy you know things like Better Boy and you know Better Girl and well, those types. Well, that's actually of... uh, that's what I got. I got Better Boys. Really? One of them that has this. Wow. No, I don't know. You know, to be honest with you, I don't know what that is. So maybe if maybe one of the listeners can help us out, but I, you know, I don't know that myself. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. Mike Miller, K. Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
The Cards and Royals continue their weekend series tonight, and you can hear it here. Ameren Pregame Show 515, first pitch 610, on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX and KMOX.com. We rock. Uh, here's a little bit of information related to soil samples. If you're gonna, if you want your soil tested, don't take soil samples from, let's say, planting perennial beds where you've got shrub, shrubbery and lawn, and mix them all together. Keep them all separate. So even though they're twenty-five dollars each, it's you got to keep it separate to find out what's going on. Here's another couple tips too: let the sample dry before you submit it. So in other words. Once you dig it, what you're going to dig up is about two cups of soil totally. A little bit more than that won't, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Leave the soil sit out overnight on a tray with newspaper or other paper. Because if your sample is too wet when you bring it in the office, it will go through the drying process before even being packaged to be shipped down to Columbia for the testing to actually be done. So if you're dropping it off in Kirkwood, they're not doing the testing there. That's strictly an office. They're going to s- send it down to Columbia. Put the samples from various areas, as I said before. Keep them separate. You know, don't fool around and mix them all together. One to two, you know, about two cups of soil in a, let's say, a Ziploc or a sandwich bag or something along that line. It does take 10 to 14 days. Probably th- this time of year it's going to probably be closer to the 14. And keep in mind this, you know, the lab is extremely busy in the springtime mainly, but it's going to be busy because of, you know, everybody's starting to think, i got to find out what's going on with my soil. So let's head now to Karen's yard, and she lives in De Pere. Hi, Karen. Good morning. Hi. I'm looking at a row of <clears throat> arborvitae that are two years old, and they uh, were eight feet when they were installed and they've grown a couple feet a year. There is new growth at the top. However, I'd say late spring, mid-summer, they were starting to brown up, and I was getting really worried about them. I called the nursery where I bought them, and they said it could have been from that late spring cold weather that we had. Uh, But then I had a tree person come out, and they said uh, he thought he saw webs for mites and so he sprayed them with a miticide and as i'm looking at them uh the tree person said that the brown they're not super brown but he said that the brown will not get green there is new green coming out but i just have concerns about them because it was a major project uh getting them installed and hoping they grow right so in other words these were viburnums that are evergreen types no, vi- no, arborvitae. Oh, arborvitae. I'm sorry, they were evergreen. Oh, arborvitae. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, what it was is, if they've only been installed two years, they don't have a really well established root system yet. Okay. So, and for, you know, to make a declaration that it's spider mites, always if you want to check to see if you have spider mites, just a branch is showing discolor. You know, put a piece of white paper underneath that branch or that, you know, those, right. and shake it and look down on that paper to see if you have red things going yeah, around. Yeah, I learned that from the, the tree man. Uh, thank you for that tip. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> as I said, they're looking okay. They, I have a sprinkling system, but it, it doesn't, I don't know if it goes up there well enough. So I've been doing a soaking hose 
and even uh, making sure each one got watered vigorously when we had that bad heat. So I'm not sure if it's maybe they're not getting enough water. Could that be a possibility? Uh, it could be, but more than likely that's not the case. They don't need a huge amount of water. Just be really careful because you can do some damage as far as like sending the root system downhill as opposed to helping the plant overall by overwatering. So in I other see. words, you can cause some root rot. So just, just hope for the best, and you think this brown will eventually go away? Yeah. I mean, the let's say the, the needles, which these aren't technically the same needles as we think of on pine trees, they're not going to green back up if they've turned really brown. So, right. And hopefully you had this, you know, the soil it was good, adequate, because any kind of evergreen needs an acidic soil. So if the soil was alkaline, is it along a driveway, a sidewalk, or anything like that? No, it's in the backyard. Okay. So then, and uh, so when you get them eight feet tall, I mean, I know you probably wanted the instant screening or whatever the reason why you bought them. Exactly. But, uh, I mean, that's a pretty big plant to be moving in. And right. hopefully they were planted correctly. I'm assuming the nursery did. You want the top part of the root ball above the surrounding yeah. ground. Uh-huh. And that's about all you can really do. Thank you. And also, it's a good idea to keep mulch around there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Like a, a donut shape, as you described. Right. A ba- yeah, a bagel type thing. And, you know, about three to four inches is about all the mulch is needed. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. And now let's go out to St. Charles and into Match Yard and see what's going on with Match Yard. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mike. Hey, I listen every Saturday. I appreciate you. Well, thanks for so, having me on your show. Yes, sir. Hey, my question is about tiger lilies. Uh, you know, the orange flowers with the black spots. Right. Uh, I had a whole bunch of them. They were so striking and so robust. And for five years, they put out lots of flowers. Um, and then the last two years, the foliage looks healthy, but zero flowers. Is there a lifespan on these things? Sure. Um, are they gone? Uh, basically not, you know, that's five years is kind of short. So why they're putting out the foliage, you know, and not putting out any kind of flowers, that's kind of unusual. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it, there's just no buds that, that perform, that open up for right. about two years in a row. I don't think the foliage is pretty enough to keep them around if they're not flowering. <laughs> so I was, yeah. I was wondering if I should ditch them because it, it, it was just so powerful for so many years and then just nothing. Right. Uh, five years. You know, I've got some that I've had since we moved from Soulard to South City. And mine are probably uh, maybe, let's see, it'd be 13 years old. And they're still doing okay. But, you know, I've, one, I've got three different clumps of them. And one of the clumps is starting to get overgrown by an evergreen that I have that's, you know, was 10 or 12 feet away. But uh, anyway, and that's doing less and less and less. So there hasn't been a major change with the surrounding plant material or anything, has there? No, sir. They're in a pot and they're in full sun. Okay. All by themselves. I would say yeah. uh, go ahead and just dig them up. You know what the, you know, you know what they look like when you bought them and everything else. And just pull them up and see what the, you know, the it looks like. And other than that... If you're fertilizing and doing everything, the foliage looks healthy. You know, maybe they that particular variety, that particular one or group or whatever, is kind of at the end of its aesthetic life. Yeah, two years in a row. It's uh, yeah okay, but interesting to hear yours are so much longer. Maybe it's just this, like you said, maybe it's just this group. Yeah, so, it could be. Uh, I think I'll yank them out. All right, thank you, Mike. All right.
Yep. Sorry. Yeah, they're kind of. I mean, I like the. I don't like the day lilies as much as I like the Asiatic lilies. So, let's go now to Linda's yard, and she lives in Oakville. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Um, I heard the lady was talking about the hard white centers in her tomatoes. Right. And my friend had that same thing happen out here at a garden. So I don't know if it's something to do, like you said, with this year's weather. But she was growing, I think, big boys or better boys, too, something like that. But we grew in the same area. We're in a community garden at the library there at you know, Cliff Cave. Mm-hmm. And we grew beefsteaks. And I just wanted to recommend that to uh, the lady because we've just had fabulous tomatoes this year. And they don't have, you know, any kind of hard center in the middle. Uh, we also grew something called Fourth of July, which, like, so I don't think you can get those at nurseries. You grow those from seed, Ooh. but uh, some, a couple of those had a little bit of that hard white center that we cut out. That, and she's right, it tastes like nothing. <laughs> it just is crazy. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to recommend the beef steaks to her. Well, great. Well, Variety wise. Yeah. Great show. Thanks. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, and also I'm assuming, you know, I should ask her that maybe there's a, you know, a nutrient problem, you know, because the variety she had wasn't really a bad one. But if you're saying beefsteaks work for you and you didn't get hard centers and other people that were growing other types at the same place, same time, and everything else. uh, The fertilizing, using it to make sure you use a tomato food so it has the right, correct you know, micronutri- micronutrients and everything else. So let's go now to uh, Gail's yard in Ferguson. Hi, Gail. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have a pink spirea, and in the spring when it blooms, I, you know, cut off all the spent blooms and it blooms again. Mm-hmm. So I've been happy with it that way. However, it's splitting apart. And, you know, kind of falling over. Ooh. And so I th- thought, well, you know, what, should I just cut the whole thing back and see, you know, with, if new growth comes out next year and, and it kind of is more bush-like? Because right now it just seems to be splitting. That's kind of unusual because spirea generally don't do that. So... Yeah, I... I saw some last night at the Muni, and I thought, those don't look like mine. They look a lot better. I don't know what, you know, why yours are, you know, kind of splitting like that. I mean, what variety they are or anything else. But, yeah, probably what I'd do is just go ahead and give it a try and just cut them back, you know, as we go into, you know, into the fall or whatever, and just kind of keep your fingers crossed on what the growth is going to be like in the future, but uh, that's really kind of unusual because you don't see that happen too often. How far back should I cut it? Uh, How tall are they? Um, Four feet. I would probably cut them back to maybe two feet. Okay. And that would take the the weight off because, I mean, unless they're, you know, the stems, you know, coming up out of the ground are really weakened. Are they in full sun and everything else? No, it's, on the corner of the house, so it gets some shade. Oh, you know. Well, if they're at least getting six hours of sun, they should be rigid enough as a result of that amount of sun to prevent this kind of weeping that's happening. But uh, they really prefer full sun all day long every day. Hmm. Okay, yeah, well, they're not getting that. So 
Okay, and then when should I do that? Uh, you could do it uh, basically from this point forward. I'd probably wait a little bit more because we don't know what our goofball weather is going to be like. But uh, I'd probably maybe mid-September cut them back at that time. Okay. All right, I'll try it. Yep. And if you do prune them, realize that you're not going to have any flowers next year. Because if they're spring okay. bloomers, you've, you're cutting off the flower buds. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll keep my fingers crossed. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck. Thanks, Gail. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, let's head out to Crestwood and see what's going on with Mary Lou's yard. Hi, Mary Lou. We have um, a lot of flowers in our yard around the perimeter, and the middle of our yard is flat. But we've got hydrangeas and annuals and coneflowers. But the other evening around 5 o'clock, these insects, I won't say they were swarming, but and they were smaller than a um, hummingbird. But I just And then the next night a few more, but I guess there were 50 to 60 of them, and they were just circling the yard, and then they went on. I didn't know if anybody else has had that or what, what those were. Hmm. Tough for Not me to guess without day. seeing. Right, and I couldn't catch one. But, <laughs> so, but I, did locusts are not doing that? or No, no, no. Uh, Cicadas won't do that at all. I mean, that's not bees, something they do. And they do. weren't bees. You know, some of those bees swarm into right. the ground. But they were. Well, I just thought somebody else might have had that experience, yeah. too. So if somebody, it only happened in the evening. Right. And so the, then they were there for like two days and then never came back again. So they No, I mean, they just went on. They were on a path. They just went through our yard. They hmm. circled a little bit and they were just coming from the right to the left and went on. Wow. So, and then it only happened around five o'clock. Haven't seen them in, during the day at all or any more lately. So, so they weren't landing on your plant material? No, no, they were on in the ground and swarming. We went outside, but what, what are those that are? So many of them in the yard. Right. No, I can't uh, can't think of what that might be. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for yeah. trying. Maybe somebody else will call in. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's kind of an un- something that's a little bit unusual. And uh, Joanne from Lima, can you do it kind of quick? Yes, uh, I have a problem with a mimosa tree. It's uh, split in the trunk, you know, uh, well, it's been that way for years, but I mean, it's kind of like it's hollow down in there. Uh oh. And I'm wondering if uh, I should put dirt in there or sand or what I should do. The tree is beautiful; it bloomed its head off this year, but I, I don't want to lose it. I don't know what to do for it. Yeah, I'd probably have a tree service come in, but no, you can't put anything down in there. They used to put cement and all this other stuff, and that just causes more problems. But uh, maybe have a tree service like uh, Timberline Tree Service come out and see if they can cable it together. Have them take a look well, at this it. This is down; it's below the cable. It was cabled several years ago. Oh, really? And it's yes. still you know, below it. Yeah. I so. was afraid then that it was going to split in half. And he said, no, I can cable it and I can save it. But with this great big, you know, it seems like it's just getting hollow down and down in that tree. Right. Down in the and trunk that's of the it. Tree, almost, I guess it's about a foot from the ground now that, the, it is, that it's hollow. Yeah, that's not a good sign because, I mean, the heartwood rot is 
I mean, water will run down the trunk and into that hole and cause problems. So just there's not going to be too much that you can do. So You think I have to have it removed? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily have it removed, but if you like the mimosas and you got another spot in your yard, I'd get another one planted. Oh, it's too big for me to dig it up. <laughs> yeah, no, get another one, a new one planted there. So if this one does, let's say, its life ends, you've got another one to replace it. Uh-huh. Well, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that. I, okay. I'm, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's causing a lot of uh, debris in the yard. You know, the blossoms when they sure. fall on that. I, I'll, I'll just leave it go then. But I, I, I hate to, I hate to kill something that has life in it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So just leave it alone. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will see you after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, and this is the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can give us a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, while you were gone... You went to Colorado, had yes. a lot of fun and everything else. Mm-hmm. How about your birds? Who was feeding them? Well, uh, we filled up as much as we could before we left. And when we got back, all, of course, the hummingbird feeders were empty. Right. And so uh, over the last couple of days, they've basically all come back. Last <laughs> night, they were all buzzing around. <laughs> and the uh, the butterflies, we had a few butterflies when we left, but now we've got a bunch uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I was looking at, we have a butterfly bush in the back, and there were five butterflies on it. Woo! And then a couple more around. And, and there's one monarch that is chasing this black butterfly. <laughs> and so we're out there watching the monarch, just beautiful, chase this other one. And then across their path comes a couple of hummingbirds chasing each other. <laughs> and it's like, it's just so much Chaos. fun to watch. And then the other birds, they're, they're kind of, you know, we've got a bunch of sunflowers. Right. So they are on the sunflowers. You see a lot of the of finches, the gold finches, and they'll stand on the top and then bend over and eat the seeds out of the sunflowers. Right. So they're doing okay themselves. Oh, but, perfect. Uh, yeah. Now, actually, Sue said she went to the grocery store the other day, and they were out of sugar. So apparently a lot of people are, are feeding the hummingbirds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So That's amazing. Yeah. So the hummingbirds <laughs> are, are definitely back and uh, they'll be around, what, another month or so, maybe a little more. And yeah. we saw some, like, I guess I mentioned hummingbirds in Colorado. Right, which is surprising. Yeah, and they make a different noise. They, they have a different chirp than the ones here. So it's pretty neat. Great. Yeah. I'm glad you had a good time, and we I'm glad your did. birds survived. Oh, yeah, they missed us. I had one hover right next to my ear the other day. I think it was telling me, where have you been? You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We're here. We can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs. How about your annuals? How about your bulbs? Yes, you can order your bulbs from Brightside St. Louis, but don't plant them yet. They'll deliver them to you, or you can pick them up yourself. But still, whenever you get them, even if you get them in the store, uh, don't plant any kind of spring flowering bulb at this time. You're going to wait till the ground gets colder. And uh, how about your edibles? Your ground covers, houseplants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board, there's James. He's producing. He answers the phone, first name, and where you're calling from is all he needs. During the week, I do landscape consulting and on weekends as well. 
And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is. You can contact me and we can schedule a, guess what, walk and talk. This uh, past couple days, I've had a new one from over in Swansea, uh, one in Imperial. And then today, after the show, I'm headed into Webster Grove. So all kinds of things going on. Tip of the trials of special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Most of the neighbors, I don't generally do this to them to the, directly to their face, but I kind of have f- funny names. And two doors down, Charlie, he lives down two doors from us. <laughs> Every Friday, I mean, he is... You can almost set your clocks by him. He goes out and he does, he takes care of the lawn. He takes care of his lawn. He has two different houses. And then the lady that lives between us, uh, Pam, he takes care of her lawn as well. So Friday at seven o'clock, he's out there. He's cutting the grass and it takes him about an hour to get it all cut. And then he also blows everything off. And he's just a great guy. And he does a lot of other things. He's extremely talented in a lot of different things. But tip of the trial goes down, or goes out to Two Doors Down Charlie, one of our favorite neighbors. And uh, uh, mellow guy, everything else. And uh, like I said, you can set your clocks almost by it every Friday at 7 o'clock. So anyway, that's, he gets the tip of the trial this week. Also, all the people that... Uh, you know, I mean, there was some major damage. So anybody that had any damage, certainly tip of the trial goes out to you because you got a lot of debris to pick up and everything else. So just take care of that. Why don't we take a couple calls before we take a break? Let's go to Nancy, and she lives in St. Louis. Hi, Nancy. Hi. I have a question about you bushes, the ones that have the red berries on them. Uh-huh. Um, about, I guess in May it was. I noticed that some of the needles were turning brown and the branches were, like, dying. So I went through the the bushes and I cut all those out. And when I had looked closer as to some of the green that was still on that part of the needles, I noticed, like, black dots on the branches that I was cutting out. And it had been, like, real hot and humid that, that day. And some of the, um, like, I guess debris from the dead branches and the trees that I was cutting out were on my arms. But I didn't think anything about it. So about three days later, I noticed, like, a a bite, like a real red bite with a scab. Could I have picked up, do they, like, produce a fungus or a mite or something on my arms and legs from doing what I did? My guess is probably the needles pricked your skin as opposed to some, because generally insects are not going to cause this kind of problem, and fungus that are generally on plant material is not going to cause this kind of thing to to you. So to me, it has to be something that was physical as opposed to something like what you're thinking or could be. So I'm thinking just, you know, reaching in there and everything else, you just got pricked by the the, the U needles. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, because I, I was real concerned. I did go to the dermatologist, and he put me on a cortisone cream, 
And it just seems like it's not phasing these things. So I thought, <laughs> well, did I pick up a fungus or a mite by going into these bushes? No, you shouldn't. Not Generally, I mean, maybe you have some really sensitive skin and everything else. It could be that, but uh, it's not something that's normally going to happen. Okay. So in the future, if you're worried about it, wear long sleeves when you're doing anything like this. I, well, I will now. I know I had glo- rubber gloves on, right? But uh, you know they only go up so far, right? So, um, okay. Well, thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And Bye. now let's, let's go from Nancy's yard to Tom's yard, and Tom lives in Winsville. Hi, Tom. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I got a quick question for you. Uh, I do got some damage uh, a little bit. Well, not really, but what happened was that storm came rolling in. And I was—I got three green giants in a row, and uh, I looked at them; they looked great. And then I looked again about maybe thirty seconds later, and the the one on the end, the smallest one, it just toppled it down. I mean, Whoa. it's completely completely down in the in the next door neighbor's yard. So I, it's about twelve foot tall. I I planted it probably about maybe six, seven years ago. Three of them. Uh, I stood it up. And I noticed that uh, I think the back of the roots, I think the back side of the roots are still intact real good. I stood it up and I staked it in real good and I watered it real slow. And, you know, uh, is there any anything else I could do? No, basically you've done everything possible. And uh, depending upon the percentage of the root system that's, you know, still functional and viable, that's going to determine how well it does. But it's kind of surprising yeah. it would knock it over like that. I know. it's got It's got good color, but... Uh, I did notice when I lifted it up the uh, roots that had broken. It's it, it's a it's thin, you know. There's right. not it's not really thick. I didn't think I planted it that uh, high, but I guess I did. Yeah, and the, the, that variety of arborvitae has kind of a thin root system anyway. So just uh, it's going to be a roll of dice. You're going to know how well it made it, or if it made it at all. Let's put it that way. When we come out of wintertime about mid March, you're going to see if. Uh, you know, if the discoloration is happening or if it's still green. And if it is still green, you might have saved it. Okay. Do you think uh, it would be beneficial if I maybe put a little bit of dirt over over it, like a couple inches of dirt and then some mulch? No. Maybe some mulch just to kind of make sure that it doesn't get dehydrated if we have, you know, okay. strong winds and, you know, higher temperatures. But don't put dirt on it. Okay, how long do you think I need to keep it staked after this? I would say probably six or eight months. Okay, all right. That's all I need then. Okay, well, hey, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. All the news and all that matters to you. The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones and head over to Columbia, Illinois, and see what's going on with Joyce. Hi, Joyce. Hello. Hi. Okay, I have a question on an oak tree that is infested with gall extremely bad. The tree's about 40 years old, and one of the branches, about a 30-foot branch, broke off, and I was told it was because the galls were so heavy on the branch. Is there a way to treat that tree? Basically, at this time, you know, with the amount of galls it has, 
I mean, you can have a service come out. They can inject it. It's going to the injection they're going to put in there. It takes it probably like two years to get up to where the the majority of the galls are, and then it's going to be effective or not. It's going to be iffy because of the age of the tree and everything else. But it must have had a huge amount of galls, and the galls generally before they can cause a branch to break off, especially a major branch like this, is they'd have to be like the size of a softball, and that means. You've had obviously galls for multiple, you know, decades, but uh, usually that's not going to be the case. But I would probably have a tree service come out and take a look at it. Okay, because the galls are some of them are like golf ball size, right? And they are really hard. Oh yeah, they're hard and everything else. But it's you know, it's you got to have a huge amount of them on a branch to make the branch break off. So it is. It's really covered in them. Oh, Terrible. Yeah. So it's probably, you know, in the future, uh, this is for anybody. If you start seeing the gulls, immediately get a tree service to come out and, you know, try to get them under control as opposed to at this juncture, I think you'd probably be wasting your money, to be honest with you. But, uh, again, get a hold of a tree service and have them come out and take a look and see what they think. Now, the, the branch also was started, it was brown on the, in the very center of the oh. branch. So it had heartwood rot. So it really probably wasn't the gall that actually caused the problem. Okay. So the rot can be caused by, let's say, strong winds cause a crack where the you know that branch either is hooked to the trunk or hooked to another branch, and that crack then moisture gets in there, and that's what you know can cause the heartwood rot. Okay. And do you just treat it the one time, or do you have to treat it every year? No, you don't have to treat it every year, but, uh, again, it's probably going to take multiple times to, because the problem with, the, you know, these galls are the, the wasp that actually caused the, you know, the galls, they kind of like to live around wherever they were born. So they kind of have a tendency to stay right around that tree, and that's why you're getting so many right there. And maybe there's trees in your neighborhood that don't have any or have very few because they're, these guys want to stay not necessarily right at that tree, but very close by. That's, you know, they're not yeah, much well, for I flying. Put, yeah. I notice other trees in the area that are the oak are getting, that, getting them also. Right. So if you have friends, tell them to get them treated early before it starts getting to be too problematic. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. And now let's go to Jim. And Jim lives in Belleville. Hi, Jim. Hey Mike, uh, when is it safe to uh, aerate and put a uh, the fall fertilizer down on your on a cool season lawn? Uh, it's fescue, basically. Yeah, so I'd probably wait for another couple of weeks just in case, but because uh, we don't know what the weather's going to be like. Because I mean, a couple yesterday or yeah, it was yesterday. We're predicting the high was only supposed to be in the mid 80s, and then it, the high turned out to be a little bit hotter than the mid 80s. So if you do it, yeah. you could cause you know some trouble. So I'd wait for a week or so, you know, more closer to the end of the month. Okay, that's fine. And one last quick question: um, If a guy was gonna uh, put compost on his lawn, can you do that without? I mean, would it do any good to do it without aerating your lawn? Uh, I mean, it can help, but in reality, what you're trying to do. When you aerate and then put the compost down, you're trying to feed the soil. You're just not trying right. to feed the surface of the soil because yeah. 
it takes a long time before the, let's say, the micronutrients and everything else can penetrate down into the ground and actually be of benefit. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's all I needed. I appreciate the information. Sure. My pleasure. And let's go stay in Illinois and go to Francis' yard. Hi, Francis. Hi. Hi. How are you? Thank you for your good program. And um, I have three questions. Can you hear me okay? Sure. Okay. Um, one of them is I have a tree in the back that I got from my mom. Long story short, uh, the first two didn't, they were by themselves. They didn't take. So she got three more. And I, when I planted it, I thought, well, I, I didn't want it to die, you know, because that was really doing good. So I twisted them when they were little, and now it's big, but I know that was the wrong thing to do now. But <laughs> And it's got things coming. I mean, it looks good and everything, but that those are going to rub and maybe make a sore or something. And uh, they, it's got sprouts coming out of the bottom part. I can't, there's no way I could take one of those sprouts and plant that by itself in a separate place. Well, you could if you got rooting hormone. It would be kind of difficult. You'd probably have to be like a nursery and have grow it in a potting mix for starting plant material. So uh-huh. just cutting it and sticking it in the ground, no, no it's not going to I know. Hit. Okay. I, I didn't know if I could do that to a, the uh, tree stuff. Yeah. Do you know what kind of tree it is? It's got a, uh, it blooms in the spring, and it's got, the leaf is a heart shape, and it's the... Um, I didn't write it down, and she's not here no more okay. to ask. So, Yeah, it's a little tough to tell. But, yeah, if you twisted them, what that does is make the the angle between, the let's say, the branches really tight, and that makes it makes them weak and you know more prone to kind of wind damage and things along that line. Oh, okay. Well, with that storm the other night, we didn't. It's, you know, it's surviving. Right. Well, that's <laughs> think, great. You know. But and I, I don't know exactly how old it is because it's not real tall, but it's taller than I'm over. I'm just five-something, and it's way over me now. Okay. And also, um, I have one more question, uh, two more questions. We have a, a white, what, what was it, Ralph? A white what? White ash. White ash. And they're beautiful trees, and I know that those were one of the ones that got infected with those whatever, you know. Yeah, emerald ash borer. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, this year it looked like it was dead, but it had green on the top. And then my husband says, no, just leave it. We'll leave it alone and see what it does. Well, now it's all green, really pretty, you know, because they, they have perfect shape. and um, But underneath, like the umbrella part, mm-hmm. it, it's like dead. If we trim that off. Would that hurt it? No. I mean, limbing a tree up and removing the dead branches is really to the advantage of the tree. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, and then the, my last question. I had a friend, and she uh, was looking for a lilac bush, and I told her, oh, well, June, they got them there at Sam's, uh, you know, in the springtime, you know. No, she said, you, I don't want that kind. I want a... Um, the the old kind are they German lilac bushes or I can't remember what she said and I can't ask her either. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, basically, I mean, if lilacs are there's several different varieties of lilac, but if she wants kind of a purplish bluish one, yeah. And I mean, that's if you go to the garden centers, and it was you know it says should say syringa s y r i n g a. That's a genus of the uh, classic lilac, and so. I don't know of a German lilac versus another kind of lilac, but uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I don't know if she. I guess she knew what she was talking about. No. She's pretty sharp, but anyway, okay. And I do have one thing, more thing I want to bra- brag about. My mom said, uh, told me years ago that her mom, which would be my grandmother, she uh, used to go over to botanical gardens, mm-hmm. and when they're changing out the plants, she would get them, and she had the beautiful yard. Any St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Okay. Well, thank you for your program and your information. Sure. I really well, appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. There's a new member joining the Missouri Broadcasters Hall of Fame. A swing and a high Inducted Cardinals broadcaster John Rooney. It's a donner. Congratulations, John, from the other voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Yes, let's head over to River Wood River and go into Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Hi. Uh, we have a question. We had two large oak trees down and the stumps ground out. And when they bring the dirt back, um, should we put any kind of grass seed on that? We want to put zoysia down. Hello? Yes, go ahead. So what kind of grass seed should we put down on the fresh dirt? until, you know, next year when it's time to put zoysia sod out. Well, basically, you're going to have a difficult time regardless of what you do. So I would just get the cheapest grass seed you could possibly get and put that down. Okay. And then when we get ready to do the zoysia next, what, July? Um, well, probably, the- I'd do it much sooner than that. Probably be start to be available in May. Oh, okay, zoysia will be ready in May. Okay, put it out then. Right. Should we take that grass out that we planted or just put the zoysia over it? I would. You're going to work the soil up before you lay the sod down, so that's going to kind of kill this grass seed, and uh, basically you don't have to worry too much about using an herbicide or anything on it. Okay, just till it up and then put our sod down. Right, but just realize this is going to be a difficult circumstance to get this zoysia to survive or anything to survive where a tree has been removed. Okay, well, they took all the wood chippings out. We've got quite a hole out here now. They're going to fill that with dirt. Right, but still there's some perimeter. It's a, I'm just forewarning you, it's not going to be something that's going to be easy and it's not going to happen, you know, basically the first time you put the sod down. So good luck with it, but, uh, you know, keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. So just any old kind of grass seed. Yeah. Get the cheapest you can possibly get, and you're just trying to stabilize that spot. Right. Kind of, kind of scratch it up a little. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead and do that. Don't put straw over the top of it, though. That doesn't help at all. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your help. Sure. And now let's go over to Denny's yard, and he lives in South City. Hi, Denny. Hey, Mike. Uh, my huge bushes in the front, is it too early to trim them? Yeah, because they still might get a little bit sunburned. I'd wait for another week or two. Okay, the end of the month or beginning of September. Right. And, I mean, they may be fine. I've, you know, I tell people don't do the, you know, don't prune stuff, but I 
we have a boxwood that was growing over part of the sidewalk, and I actually cut some of that off. But it's on the north side. I know how much, you know, how intense the sun is coming down there, so I wasn't too worried about it. But you just don't want to cause any kind of, let's say, sunburn to the needles that are left when you've cut, you know, when you've pruned it. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Maureen, and Maureen lives in South County. Hi, Maureen. Well, thank you, Mike. I also want to thank you for your sharing your expertise on our show. I have a butterfly bush that's fairly new, only three foot tall. It is in full bloom. Seems to like where I planted it. Great. I would like to get a buddy for it. But anyway, the question is that should I prune it after it finished blooming or wait till it gets a little bigger? You can prune it if you want to. There's no reason to prune it since it's Good. as small as it is. I'm and not depending big upon the variety, I mean, there's some dwarf ones, but there's some standard ones, and the standard ones are going to get pretty big. But yeah, I understand, and and that's okay. Yeah, I can prune it sometime in the future. Yeah, basically, what since it's a summer bloomer, you can prune it all the way, you know, in from fall all the way into the early spring before the new growth starts beginning. You can prune it up to that point, but once the new new growth starts beginning, then it's already starting chemistry-wise to set flower buds. So that's why you you can prune it from that point forward. Wow, that's amazing. But I thought it ought to get a little bigger. Yeah, certainly nothing wrong with that. Okay, I so appreciate everything. And everybody else calling in that they're expertise, too. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Or questions that I learned. Okay, take care of you. Yes. Thank you. Have a good day. And now let's go into Mary's yard in Shrewsbury. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I have some uh, um, uh, little lime hydrangeas that I'm going to take out. They've gotten too large for the space. I want to put in some um, Carl Forrester grass there. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've got a page up on my computer there's several different varieties. I want the ones that we, you know, that you can see uh, growing all over the all over the area. They've got the kind of the gold colored glass, gold colored uh, tops on them. Is right. that, that is that just called Carl Forster or? Yeah, that's a very specific variety. So if you get if you know Carl Forster is you know it's a type of pensamen. And so, yeah, just tell me that you want the Carl Forster variety. Okay, I see uh, uh, Acuciflora, and there's a whole bunch of others that. Well, there are three others, so um, I get. I'm assuming that I just can get what's available for the area. Right. My my Delta Jazz uh, crepe myrtles have finally had some blooms on them. Um, next, uh, what what do I do with them as fall? Uh, creeps up on us well basically you don't need to do anything you, you can kind of like i was t- telling that lady since it's a summer bloomer you can prune them all the way from you know through fall all the way up into spring when the new growth starts you know and it won't be the flowers but as soon as the new growth the foliage starts growing you don't want to prune it after that point okay just leave them then right yeah no problem them- leaving them and not pruning them at all all right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your show. Sure. Thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go to Sherry's yard in North City. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Mike. 
I'm a new gardener, and I have a strawberry hanging plant from last year, and I started two other plants from the runners. Mm-hmm. Should I expect strawberries from them? <laughs> Depends upon the type, you know. So, I mean, there's two major types of strawberries. There's one that's called Juneberry, and it's going to set, f- you know, flowers going to set the fruit early and finish flowering and fruiting basically in June. Then there's the everbearing one, which will start, and it's going to keep flowering all the way up until, you know, it's going to be weather-dependent, but you might still get some strawberries off of it, uh, oh, let's say in, maybe in September. Okay, so this must be an everberry because I'm getting little tiny berries from the mother plants. Right. And, you know, I only have greenage from the uh, the new ones, the okay. new ones from the runners. And so, then also I have another question about my turnip greens. I noticed I'm getting very few turnips from the greens. It, it, would it have anything to do with me harvesting the leaves? Definitely. Okay. Because, so. I mean, the leaves are what make the fruit. In other okay. words, the turnip. So so if you reduce the amount of foliage, then the foliage is actually making chlorophyll, food, then that basically sends it down to the turnip below the ground and makes the turnip grow. Okay, so I'm having the same problem with radishes, and I haven't even harvested any of his leaves. Huh. Well, it could be just, you know, maybe the ra- variety of radishes, or if you have, them, you have them full sun? Yes. Okay, so you're basically doing everything, and if the soil's adequate... That's about all you can do. Hmm. Okay. Well, you've been definitely an inspiration for me uh, when it comes to my gardening <laughs> adventure, so thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go out to Chesterfield into George's yard. Hi, George. Hi, Mike. Hi. Got a question about zoysia grass. I got a strip, most probably six foot wide, 50 foot long, and it just progressively is just like dying. And uh, you can actually pull out the grass, and uh, I'm at a loss as far as a soil test or, or what possibly could be the answer. Are you fertilizing? No. Oh, so you're not. Basically, I mean, zoysia really, you should start fertilizing with first fertilization and towards around Memorial Day, then every month all the way with the last one being around Labor Day. So, but would that kill it not to have fertilized it? Yeah, I mean, just it's not healthy. It's like it's not. it doesn't have the right stuff to eat. And get a fertilizer, you know, I mean, one that's going to be specific for that. And, you know, core aeration, how long has the zoysia been in? Uh, maybe three years. Yeah, so it probably never really got well established, or else it shouldn't be doing that, let's say, this soon. And uh, especially you've added another let's say, adverse circumstance without fertilizing it and everything else. Did you prepare the soil before you laid the sod down? It was dug up by uh, the cable company, and then they came in and laid the soil, the zoysia down on yeah, top of that. Yeah, so it's probably trying to survive on subsoil, so it's just, you know, it's, it's in a really horrible situation. Not only where, you know, the soil is growing in, but then the care afterwards. Okay, as far as soil test, is that a possibility? Yeah, I mean, certainly it would help. It would, you know, give you some information on what there is there. Is there local places? Or do these kits do okay? Uh, I would not do the kit, not a home-type thing. Okay, anybody local that well, can do Well, the tests? University of Missouri has an extension office in Kirkwood, 
or you can send you can go online and look at the University of Missouri Extension Service soil testing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do and everything else related to it. Okay. And one other little question. These spiky grasses that grow about five times or ten times as fast as grass, uh, you pull those things. Is that uh, just make them spread more, or do you, you? Well, it all depends if if they're if it's like nut grass. Definitely, it does because they have seeds on the end of the white root systems. But there's other, you know, if there's another type, so. Uh, okay. They send up about three or four blades. Yeah, so it's probably water grass, and yes, you can definitely, you know, create a more of a monster. It usually grows where the water or where the soil is not really well drained. So the, if that's in the situation where zoysia is, then that's part of the problem too. Hmm. I guess concrete's the answer, right? Yeah, exactly. Or astroturf. <laughs> okay, Mike. Thanks. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thanks to James. All of a sudden, I was sitting here, my screen went black. And he comes over, he moves the mouse. That's all he had to do. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Anyway, let's get back to the phones. Let's go to St. Charles in the Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. I have a uh, quick question and a comment, uh, opinion. The uh, I put in three hibiscus this spring. I've been fertilizing every two weeks. They're doing well. I'm wondering, is there a certain time I should stop fertilizing? Basically, uh, there's no reason to keep fertilizing once we get probably past mid-September. You'd just be wasting your time, money, and everything else. Okay. Uh, and an opinion on that lady that called the last hour about those insects passing through her yard. Right. I've noticed several times over the years I've worked here or lived here, uh, I'll see a semi-swarm of dragonflies. Oh. Yeah, and they'll move through, and they're just wandering around at different elevations, and I'm wondering if they're eating tiny insects that I can't see. And then they pass along and move to somebody else's yard. <laughs> Very well could be. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Barbara, and she lives in Fairview Heights. Hi, Barbara. Hello. Hi. I was recently in Southern California and saw some ground cover on a small hill that, and it was in several, several different places, and it looked like Lantana. Is Lantana an annual or a perennial? Well, in California, it's a perennial if you're talking about Southern California. If you're talking up in the yes. mountains, yeah, it's basically... No, this was south of L.A., kind oh. of, uh, you know, kind of, well, really not desert, but, uh, right. you know, very dry, very, yeah. So, no, that's what it is. It can survive year after year after year after year. But it can't here. No, it can't take the cold. It can You can bring it in as... Bring it inside and have it as a house plant if you've got enough light. But for the most part, it is not something that's going to survive outside at all under any circumstances. Okay. Okay. I was just wondering because I've always put it in a pot and, um, you know, it, it's very hardy. And I like that about it because it goes way late into, you know, uh, the autumn. Right. But, uh, 
I thought if I could put it in the ground, I would do that. Okay, I won't waste my time. Yeah, don't do it. Don't bother. And Mary, uh, in your city, you're going to have to do it kind of quickly. Can you do that? Um, Yeah, I have a question about um, a mimosa tree that's in my driveway that drops some kind of sap on my car and turns the hood of my car black, and it's a silver car. (laughs) Yeah, it's just... It could be insects that are feeding on your car. It could be the sap of the mimosa tree. And basically just use a car wash. Yeah. After the rain the other night, I went out there and I messed around with my finger. And actually it came off easier than I thought. Yeah, I kind of neglected it. And my friend says, just cut the tree down. (laughs) But I really love the tree. Right. So um, I don't know. If I trim it back severely... (laughs) Because it's all branches. I know it's sap or something. It hangs over the hood of the car. Right, exactly. My wife gets it from a maple tree that she parks underneath. Oh, okay. Um, I've heard Dawn dish soap works pretty good to get it off, too. Yeah, I mean, just use a sponge and, uh, you know, something like that. You can get it off pretty easily. Okay, and there are male and female mimosa trees, right? Because mine doesn't bloom a whole lot. No, that's just variety-wise. No, there isn't male and female. No. Okay. So it's just not a big bloomer, right. I guess. Well, thanks, Mary. And thanks to everybody. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.